Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Welcome, Training Unleashed listeners. We're going to have a great episode. We're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, and I suspect one of yours, which is storytelling. Um, you know, we all know stories have a make great impact. We have Robert Matson with ITM Speakers with us today. He is an absolute expert in storytelling. And Robert, let me first just, because I think your name is really cool, why don't you start just telling people about what your name stands for and just a tad bit about yourself. Thanks, Evan. Happy to do so. Uh, why don't we start with what the, uh, the name of the company is. ITM stands for In the Moment. And the reason it's in the moment is if you've ever gone to a great theatrical production and you've seen a great actor, when they are in the moment, they basically are ignoring everything. They, they're not even reading a script. They are just basically, they're living that moment. And as speakers, a lot of people get very nervous. In fact, three out of four people in the world suffer from glossophobia at some level, which is the fear of public speaking. But when you're in the moment, there's no place for fear to live, which is why I help a lot of people that are nervous and help them get in the moment so they can focus on communicating with the audience instead of all the things that go through our heads, that editor that keeps on running while we're speaking. Um, my background is kind of unique. I have an electrical engineering degree, and I've been an actor since I was 15 years old. And they came together into, uh, most of my career was in product marketing and marketing. And I started the company about two years ago because I've been coaching people most of my career, and I thought, I'd like to do this full time. And it's been a fantastic move for me personally. So I might get this wrong, but if, if I recall from our earlier conversations, you really focus on the right story told the right way. Exactly. And maybe yep. talk a little into that. Happy to. Uh, and, you know, the tagline could be uh, better stories told better. And it's a situation where there's a lot of different organizations out there that focus on one side of that coin. Uh, so they might focus on helping you build a story or messaging, and they might focus on presentation skills. I think they're really closely intertwined because I've seen many great scripts perform poorly, and I've seen many great performers take something that is fairly poor in its writing and make it something interesting and compelling. But if you put those two together, if you see a great Shakespeare play and you see an actor that really pulls you in, it's a transformative experience. And I think when you talk about business people, they are trying to change people's thinking. They need transformative experiences. And that's why I focus on both sides of the coin. So I think it'd be really great if you could perhaps sort of share with us sort of the keys to great storytelling and then maybe share a story to highlight the keys. Absolutely. Happy to. When you think about what makes a great story, it's that you connect with it as a listener and you have to make sure that you're getting something out of it. I always tell people when they either when I'm doing coaching with them or I'm teaching a class is audiences are selfish. They're not there because they know you or like you. They're there because they want something from you. So if you start thinking about what you're trying to achieve in the person that's listening, whether you're trying to convince them of a particular fact or just maybe make them laugh, smile, or cry, start with that goal and the ending, and then work your way backwards from that to tell the type of story 
And that's why I tell people, you always want to have a lot of books on the bookshelf. You want a lot of different stories because you want to be able to pull the right one that's going to be effective for you to achieve a goal. And that is pretty much the key of all of it, starting with the ending and working your way back. Hmm. Uh, a great example from one of the classes I taught, I was teaching a 17 salespeople and we were in, uh, we were in upstate New York. And at the end of the class, I had each of the teams tell a beginning, a middle and an end story, each different stories, one to create intrigue, one to persuade and one for people to remember. And the gentleman at the end, his goal was to convince the listener that it was a technology company, that their implementation process was watertight. It was not going to leave one step undocumented or unlooked at. And he was a great guy. His name was David. He was a guy in his 50s. So he's you know, been around the block a few times. And he started the story the way you should, by not saying, I'm going to tell you a story, but by just walking right into it. And David stood up and said, when I was 17 years old, I was learning to fly a plane. And I was in a very small airport in you know, Piper Cubs, Piper Warriors, the small single prop planes. And one thing that they pushed was your pre-flight check. And they had to, because at the end of this small runway, about 100 yards off, the trees started to rise very, very quickly. So one thing that they pushed is saying, you have to make sure you have low enough weight and enough power out of your engine to get over those trees. One day I heard that a flight actually clipped their landing gear and had to come back and land. It was fine. No one was injured. But I went to my flight instructor and I said, what happened? He goes, well, they didn't have enough power to get over that, uh, to get over the trees. He goes, well, didn't they do a pre-flight check? Didn't they check the weight? He goes, oh, yes, but they were carrying Christmas trees. Okay. Why would it matter what they were carrying? Didn't they weigh the Christmas trees? Oh, yeah, they did. But what they didn't know is that before Christmas trees travel a certain distance, they're watered. And so because they're watered, it added more weight and they clipped. And then he stopped and he looked at the room and he said, do you really want to be a plane full of Christmas trees? And it was such an iconic moment that caught yeah, everyone's yeah. mind's eye that at the end of the session, I heard multiple people walking out of the room talking about planes full of Christmas trees. So that's what makes a great story. It teaches, it engages, it gives enough detail to create a vision in the person's mind and it stays with them. And that's the difference of storytelling versus features, facts, and functions. Stories stay with people. 14 times more likely to stay with somebody than a fact. Because we have been programmed throughout our evolution to transmit information in stories. So I want to take a second and talk about the pitfalls. Mm -hmm. So this is my impression, I'm curious yours, that a lot of people you know, don't plan their stories, don't think them through. They throw up their stories. They may be unnecessarily long. Mm -hmm. um, what are the mistakes you see from people that don't, that tell stories, but don't really know how to tell stories? So Evan, you were spot on, by the way. You are absolutely spot on on the biggest challenge people face. There are ramblers out there. If you're trying to tell a good story, the key is, is to understand how stories are structured. If you can understand the basic structure of a story, and there are a lot of different structures, there's the hero's journey, there's you know, this, that, and the other. Um, there are stories that are based on temporal, but the basic structure of any good story is the three-act structure, beginning, middle, and end. If you think of um, great Hollywood films, 
myths and fables, bedtime stories. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end. The example I use in my class is the original Star Wars film, released in 1977. And in the beginning, you met Luke Skywalker and R2-D2 and Princess Leia. You learned about the rebellion. You, and you, you went on Tatooine. You saw space. You learned all those things. You met the characters. And you set up the connection between the listener and the story. Then, of course, there comes a point where you go into the middle section, the conflict of the story, which is when they have to leave Tatooine because Luke's aunt and uncle get killed and he has to leave. And they find Han Solo, they you know, blow out of Anchorhead, they find the Death Star, all of that type of stuff. And then at the end of it is the resolution where they've escaped, they've got the plans for the Death Star and they go and of course the Death Star explodes. And I think anyone of a certain age can almost see the Death Star exploding in their head. It's such an iconic oh, moment. Yeah, definitely. But that's the same structure you can use to tell any story. And if you think in that structure, that gives you the format that you need. So that's step one. The second step is the, the contrast between detail and brevity. And ramblers don't do that. They give you way too much detail and not enough brevity. But you need detail. If I tell you a story, Evan, so let me tell you a story. I'll just tell the beginning of a quickly made up story. I was going and I was going to meet with a business person. We met in an old mill. It was actually open in the mid 1800s. It's your classic New England brick mill. In fact, when you walk in, they have a trough that's now a garden that apples used to flow through. And they would take the apples out of that water and put them into the bins. And you can see the bin doors. That was maybe 20 seconds. But now, as someone, and I know that you, uh, you live in New England, so you've probably seen these type of mills before. You have the picture of that mill in your head. If I tell the story about you, I might say, I was talking to my friend Evan the other day. Evan's a great guy. You know, he's, he's probably about my age. He's got a, this really cool home office with a gong in the background. And he's, it's kind of a mustard-colored background, you know, kind of that pottery barn feel. Again, now I've described you, and I've described a little bit about your background. And that's in your head. So people, as they listen, are now have a picture of you in their head, and it activates the lower brain. So understanding 20 seconds of detail to lock something in their head and then get on with the story. So I've done my introduction. I need to define the problem that you're facing, the challenge, but that's quick and easy. And then go into a well-defined middle section where you're trying to convince them of a particular thing. And then again, remember from the beginning of our conversation, start with the ending. What am I trying to convince them of? In the story of Evan, I might try to convince them that you host a great podcast. And I want to talk about my experience with you, how comfortable it was and how it was easy going. And I had so much fun and that would convince someone, but I got to work my way back. And I start with a description of you and your background. <laughs> so that's the key, understanding the structure, having it in your head, building to it and having that balance between detail and brevity. For our listeners, I actually do have a gong in my background. <laughs> <laughs> it's in case I have a bad guest. I'm joking. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> my wife picked it out. It's kind of an unusual thing to have in the background. But um, of course, for those that want, you can always watch us uh, on our YouTube channel. Um, so describe just for a second, you know, I think that people, I think people take storytelling for granted. I think people use it, but like you described, they don't really think it through and brevity is incredibly important because you can lose people. Um, 
what are the types of people that you typically work with and, and what kind of things do you do to help people become master storytellers? There are three major categories I tend to work with. One are executives, the second are salespeople, and the third are usually subject matter experts. All three of these people are cursed with too much knowledge. I love that. That's and great. it's an well, if you think about those three categories as an executive, and Evan, you, you, would, you, know, you would be there, and I'm sure you've done sales, you know, you've done some sales in your time, and you're also a subject matter expert, right? You know things about things. All of those three categories, they're trying to share information, but we, we fall into this trap often as people of trying to give you all of my information. I want to tell you all these things. I'm so enthusiastic about it. If I'm an executive, it's about my, my vision and my mission and where we're going. If I'm a salesperson, here's my product, my features, my facts, my functions. If I'm a subject matter expert, I can go down into the weeds. I work with product managers who know the process and the product so well. And they want to talk about, you know, the scrum they were in and how they made this decision to get this product feature on and how they implemented it so well through, you know, through this JavaScript code or through, you know, C++ or what have you. And they have to realize people do not care because people need to understand how whatever you're doing affects them. So if I'm trying to convince you of the mission, I want to convince you how I can make your life better. Because if I don't do that, then it comes off as me just spouting things at you and you don't get that, you don't get that flow of why it is important to me. So I'd say that is probably the, the, no matter what group I'm talking to, that is the thing I'm trying to get through to them is don't get caught in everything you know, edit down to you get the high points of the story. And one thing, when people are putting together stories, whether it's a, a personal story, a metaphorical story, a lot of times they'll say, oh, if this, only this happened in a park instead of an office, it'd be so much more impactful. I'm like, then set it in a park. Well, yeah, but it doesn't, it w wasn't in a park and I'd be lying. I'm like, no, no, no. Is the truth of your story there? Because do you think every fable, every piece of, from a religious text, any teaching story was 100% valid? Do you think they really care whether you ate eggs or toast in the morning? No, they do not. They care that the core truth of your story is there. So as long as you are true to that core truth, you're in good shape. If you vary from that, then you're in trouble. But anything else, you can adjust a little bit to make sure your story really rings true. And also edit out the stuff that's not important. And to your point before about ramble fests, which is what I call people that just keep on going, there are people who don't know how to edit themselves. Find the through line. Find the high points. Focus on those. You're usually in great shape. We're so glad you're listening to this episode of Training Unleashed, brought to you by Tortal Training. The difference between Tortal Training and other online training companies is we're primarily a training company with technology rather than a technology company that does training. Want to find out more? Just go to tortal.net. That's T-O-R-T-A-L, tortle.net. You know, Robert, I don't know if you've ever thought about this as a business. And for those people that are listening, I encourage you to go to YouTube because you're a master at body language. <laughs> and no, you do. I mean, and, and this is difficult because basically you can only see your face. But as you tell the stories, you can see your facial expressions, your face, you're, you're clearly a master at it. Well, you're, you're, you're being very kind. It's actually part of, remember, great, uh, you know, better stories told better. Uh, the second half of my first day of my two-day class is about all of those things. 
how do you use body language, uh, your voice, changes in tempo, uh, gesture set. And gesture set's my favorite, to be quite honest, because people forget that gestures are not additive to language. They are part of language. Uh, I call it American business sign language. Because if you think about all of the different um, things that you can do to create more information, if I say, and you can see my hands, but if I put them up in front of the camera, if I say, this is the bad area, this is the good area, I've now defined that for you as a, as a viewer. And now they're locked in. So if, if I'm talking about something and I go, you know that that's a bad thing because I'm pointing to the yeah. bad area. And also people tend to get like this with their hands. They're, they're afraid to use big gestures. People, I've heard other speaker coaches saying, you know, don't go farther out than your shoulders. To which I say, no, <laughs> you, you've got this. If I want to make a point and I want to say over there is where the beginning is and over there is where the ending is, why can't I use all this space? I mean, don't gesticulate crazily, but for so purpose. For the, for the listeners, which most of the people are, Robert's hands were way out wide. Um, so, so the because they can't, you, you can be the greatest hand person ever, but if they can't see them, it, it, it won't, it won't have an impact. Um, that's such a great point. I know you're going to go on with another point, but I, I want to agree with you and point out something that I am focusing on Evan because I am talking to him and I can see him. Yeah. So I'm tending to use the tools that I would use with face to face. If I am teaching a class about people that are cold calling, you know, business development reps, for instance, I want to focus more on visuals that they might be able to use online or vocal tricks, vocal changes, using little things about increasing your enthusiasm or your speed or um, using pauses in a powerful way. And I tell people that the less confident speakers fear silence. More confident speakers use silence. People want to tend to fill space. This, this is such an important point. Uh, you know, also, I would say this. When you look at sound, most speakers try to speak really above the average. I'm going to make a point. Yeah. If they take their time and they talk softly and oh, yeah. say, this is the key point. This is the key learning. You actually are much more effective going quieter below the average than you are talking really loud. Well, there's also, you've got, um, you've got so much, you've more range. You've got the quiet yeah. range and the loud range and using them effectively. And you made a very good point, what's called bringing the audience to you. If you down your volume, people will lean in to listen. Yeah. If you are yelling your head off, they don't have to, they can back all the way back and still hear you just fine. But if you use them effectively together, it's, it's, it gives you more range. And that's what we're trying to do. Give more information. And, you know, you mentioned pauses and silence. The listener needs to catch up. If you're going from one key point to the next point and you haven't planned silence, you know, they've missed the first three or four or five seconds of what you're now saying as they're finishing up that wonderful thought. Um, yeah, no, again, I love, you're, by the way, you're the perfect straight man because you're giving me all these... It's great things to work off. And you're absolutely right. Silence is used with pausing with purpose is what I refer to in my class. And there are multiple reasons to do that. One, because every presentation is really a conversation. 
and they might not be speaking back to you. And hopefully they're not if you're, if you're controlling the room properly, but you want them to be thinking back to you. You want them to be responding to what you're saying and giving them a little silence to, to bring that in is great. But the other thing is we live in a multinational world. And I'm a New Englander, and I don't know, I can't remember, Evan, where you originally are yeah, from. Yeah, I'm born in Vermont. I'm a New Englander. Okay, you're a New Englander. We tend to speak at a fairly quick pace. And also, we speak with a New England, in your case, in my case, not a very strong New England dialect, but occasionally a dialect. And if you are talking to someone who's from France or Japan or Venezuela, even if they speak English, they learned it as a secondary language. And they have to translate our way of speaking to the way they are used to listening. So giving them a little extra time to pick up and to do that translation comfortably is something that's important when you're dealing in a more diverse world. Yeah. So I got to value my listeners time. I got to value your time. But before I do there, this is a group of people, my listeners, our listeners (laughs) um, that are really skilled and to me, the highest level of storytelling is when you tell one story with breaking it up and you chain it. So you start with a story, then you get into content, then you come back in to the same story and it continues on. You want to speak yeah. to that a little bit? Sure. And there are, there are two ways to do that chain, by the way. Yeah. There is a single story callback. You can do a, actually three or four now that I think about it. But you can do a callback chain where you are adding. So you tell the main story in the beginning and then you're adding little bits that reflect upon your main story. So you're giving little twists. So you don't have to do a lot with it. And that's a great way of handling it where you do the bulk of the work early or maybe late and you tease, you can do it in both directions. There's also a thematic where you tell three, two or three different stories, but they all have a common theme which connect them. So there are multiple ways that you can go about doing that. But I think your key point there, Evan, is the connection through line, making sure that there is that kind of through line throughout your major story, because stories are like Russian dolls. You can have one doll within another, within another, within another. Uh, Three-act story, beginning, middle, and end. I could tell you an intrigue story. Maybe it's a metaphorical story where I use, uh, I actually do one, and uh, I use a metaphorical thing where I talk to people about if I gave you a dollar bill, and for the people listening, I'm holding up a regular old you know, George Washington dollar bill. And if I gave you this during the day and Evan, you took it and you said, thank you. You put it in your pocket or your wallet at the end of the day. Well, besides someone giving you a dollar, if you had more dollar bills in your pocket or your wallet, would you know which one I gave you? Probably not. And now I'm holding up, which is a 1972 Eisenhower silver dollar. Now, Evan, I don't know when's the last time you saw an Eisenhower silver dollar. Probably has been a while. A long if, time ago, probably in a slot machine. Yeah. If I gave you this, even if you put it in your pocket, you might take it out and show it to someone and say, hey, when was the last time you saw one of these? And at the end of the day, you would remember me every time you look at the silver dollar. Yeah. Now, both dollars have the same value. They're both worth a dollar, but because they're packaged differently, this one has a lot more power and memorability. So that is a metaphorical open story for intrigue where I'm introducing how storytelling is actually same information, different packaging, more value. And then I might tell a story in the beginning, in the middle for persuasion. Maybe it's a customer story of how someone got great benefit from 
storytelling. And I would tell you the before and the after and show great contrast. And at the end, I would tell you a story kind of like the Christmas tree full of, uh, the, pardon me, the plane full of Christmas trees, where it's something that you're going to walk out remembering. So those are all stories. I'm, the theme is me trying to prove a particular point, yeah. but they're all connected in a certain way. Excellent information. I would imagine our listeners have gotten a lot of value from this. Um, we now know you're in Boston, which is great. Do you work with people remotely at all? Yes, I, I work with people remotely. I, so there are three major ways that I work with people. One is remotely. Uh, the other way is usually in classwork. And sometimes I just will do a, a one-day affair where I'll fly out and I'll meet usually with an executive or a team of executives and we'll work on a particular goal that they have. I did one with a, a group out of, uh, they were out of Wisconsin and they were hosting a day at a conference and they wanted to put together a flow of the day, including a mini keynote and then a fireside chat and then running a panel and drive some interaction with the audience so they can make sure they came back. And I work with them in that way. I also do what I call a workout program where I work with people and we meet every week, usually virtually, and we will get on a call just like we're doing right now, or I'm on a camera, you're on a camera, and yeah. we'll go over the goals and we'll make sure that you are increasing week to week. And you can sign up for a month, two months, three months, or if you want to talk to me for a year, you can do that too. <laughs> it, it would be a pleasure. <laughs> um, I know you have an offer. Yes, I do. And just because um, I think that people that are investing in things like your podcast are people that should get something out of that investment. So I thought I would give a little back. Uh, anyone who mentions this podcast and would like to sign up for a workout program, a one-on-one -on -one day, or maybe even a class for a group of people, 15% uh, off that podcast. And they can learn more about the offers at itmspeakers.com. That's a great offer. Appreciate it. We always end with, if you had to share one tip with our listeners, what would that one tip be? The one tip is practice as you play. Uh, I work with a lot of people and they'll come in maybe the second day of a class. And I'll say, did you go over what you're going to do today? Did you go over the talk you're going to give? And they'll say, yeah, went over in my car. I'm like, great. Are you presenting in your car? <laughs> it's one of the situations where if you want to master a skill, if you can model it as, as closely as you can. I was once thrown off because I was practicing for a keynote and I got there and they had put a catwalk out to the audience. And the main stage was so far behind the catwalk that I had to actually use the catwalk and also the spaces to the side of it to do my talk because I had been practicing on a straight stage. And I had to re-practice that because and during my practice, I tripped over that catwalk and fell flat on my face. So I'm glad I did that during rehearsal, not during, uh, not during the yeah. actual. It's interesting you're saying this. I gave a speech recently and I went to practice and they had a podium and mm -hmm. I had, I wasn't going to be at the podium, but there I was one there and I had props. So I put my props in the thing. I practiced my speech, took out my thing. Then I show up to give the actual speech and somebody decided to get rid of the podium. <laughs> so, you know, when I had, no opportunity to repractice. So now I've got, what do I do with these things? And, you know, it was not that big a deal, but it's, but you know, the, the point you're making, which is, you know, take risk out. If you practice in this space and you know the space well, then you're going to have more confidence. You're not going to be thinking about that because it's one less thing to think about. 
No, you're absolutely right, Evan. I agree with you 100% because it's one of the situations where you're going to have a lot going through your head. And if you want to be in the moment, if you take those distractions out, as been you know a 30 plus year on stage performer doing everything from you know playing King Arthur and Spamalot, John Adams in 1776, The Voice of the Plant and Little Shop of Horrors, you know something can throw you. You know you're yeah. you know your stuff, but the minute you know you have someone whose phone goes off in the audience, even though they've been told six times to turn their phone off. It's a situation where if that changes, you are adding variability that you potentially could get tripped up by. You know, I always love the people like, uh, my best speeches are when I don't practice. And I don't know a professional speaker who doesn't rehearse. And I give the same speech many, 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 many times. And I will practice it five or six times, not necessarily on stage five or six times, but I will practice it in my room and all this so that when I get ready and I'm on stage, I practice on stage, I'm, I'm dead on. Uh, because if you're a professional, you're a professional, you know? Think of it like a jazz musician. A jazz musician has, can improv on the fly because they have such a strong foundation in what they're doing. They know the music, they know the key, they know what they can do in that space, but that frees up their brain to do those riffs on top of it. Great speakers are just like that. If you know it and you can jump in and out of it because something happens and you want a riff, that's great, but then you have that solid foundation. Every great speaker is like a jazz musician. Well, I want to thank you very much for being a guest on the show. Um, I want to thank our listeners for listening, and everyone have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. This has been Training Unleashed, but it doesn't stop here. Just go to trainingunleashed.net to subscribe to the show. That way, you'll never miss an episode, and you'll be well on your way to delivering training programs that are off the chain. We'll talk to you next time on Training Unleashed. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.